everyone. Before we get started, I want to take care of some school business. How many received tuxedo mask invites for tomorrow night? I did. Me? Yeah, right, you bet. That's good, because I was invited to come along as a chaperone. And I just want to remind you girls that I'll expect you to be on your best behavior. Okay. Moon Podcast Escalation! My name is Jordan D. White. My name is Chris Sims, and this is Sailor Business, the podcast where we watch every single episode of the classic 1992 Sailor Moon anime and break it down to talk about why it is that we love this show so much. And I am so excited. Uh, we have the next two episodes are going to be weird. I'm going to go ahead and lay that out right now. Really? Uh, okay. The episodes that we are watching, I think we have the start of one of the weirdest stories in Sailor Moon, mm-hmm. and then we have the weirdest episode of Sailor Moon. But to join us for those, I could not be more excited. We have a guest who is unquestionably the real person we have talked about more than any other real person <laughs> on this show. Leanne Centaur is here. Hi. Uh, if you are a regular listener of Sailor Business, you'll know that uh, Leanne Centaur is the writer of the Sailor Moon novelizations that came out in uh, the late 90s and uh, I guess 99 and 2000. Is that right? Yeah, I think they all span within that sort of two-year period. Uh, that I have been reading along with because I had one in 1999. So you are on the show now, and we are going to talk about Sailor Moon with you, and I could not be more excited about this. Yes, it's very thank meta. you so much. <laughs> no, you're welcome. I just, uh, I'm a little embarrassed, because <laughs> when I wrote those, I was a child, so uh, it was nice, kind of, there was a brief period where, after they went out of print, they sort of uh, disappeared from the, you know, public space, and then somebody dug them up a couple of years ago and put them all, you can download all of them now. Oh, um, can I you? Because I, I paid money for them. <laughs> there was an archive called Miss Dream. I think that had them up there and I, I got linked through some weird thing and my stomach dropped. I was like, Oh God, now the internet knows what I did. But <laughs> well, no, listen, listen. <laughs> you were, I, I'm going to assume you were paid. <laughs> Yes, no, I was. You Actually were paid to well, write yeah. Sailor Moon novels yeah. in 99, yeah, I know. That, like when you were a teenager. And that's oh, awesome. Yeah. No, no, it, w- it was a great experience. It's more like I-, I was still learning a lot of things there. As, you know, I didn't really start writing creatively seriously until I was about 13. So I got published relatively short- shortly after that. So I was still kind of working out some, working out some stuff, <laughs> both creatively and personally. And uh, that's sort of what fan fiction is for. But sure. this had a lot of professional eyes on it. So... Um, at the time, people were really supportive in retrospect years later when people didn't really uh, kind of understand the, the story of how I got to work on that. They were criticizing it as they had the right to on kind of like, this is a professional work and, and this is what was wrong with it. And they were totally right. It was just, I'm, I'm sort of glad they weren't there when I was doing it because that might have crushed me a little too hard to keep going, <laughs> which is one of those things that you learn when you become a professional, right? You learn how to take sort of the bad criticism right. with the good and, and, you know, you're out in a public space, you put yourself out there as a public figure and that's fine. But one of the things that I run a publisher now and we work with a lot of teenagers is that when you somebody is that age, you have to give them way more support than criticism or it will just like crush them. Absolutely. Like, yeah, in a totally unproductive way. So I'm glad the really bad criticism came out when I was old enough to take it. But it did kind of it was hard to defend myself in retrospect because I agreed with them. <laughs> 
<laughs> all the stuff that, you know, I did wrong. And so I've got a little chip on my shoulder about it. But at the, it was a great, you know, step in the door. I've done about 150 books by now. So and wow. most of them are. Well, I mean, it's like uh, graphic novel adaptations, right? Like I've been a manga adapter for many years and I did some light novels and I've done some original novels. So a graphic novel adaptation is not the same as writing a novel from start to finish. Sure. But yeah, it was kind of my step in the manga industry. And as like the giantest Sailor Moon fan in existence, this was like, you know, <laughs> it wasn't just a dream control. It was kind of it was sort of unbelievable that this would happen. It was just like a, a lark. And it just so happened that Stu Levy, who ran Tokyo Pop, had sort of crazy ideas and wanted me to... I'll go into that later if you actually care about the story, how I got that job. Oh, yeah. Oh, I do. Well, yeah, we, we should definitely say first, want to hear that. We should say first that the episode that we're going to be watching this week is yes. uh, episode 19 of Sailor Moon. It's called Usagi's Joy, a love letter from Tuxedo Mask. Uh, and you can find it on Hulu if you want to watch along uh, and... and if you are watching along with us, and if you're if you're only half watching along with us, this one's kind of important. So I would say I would say go ahead and watch it if you are the kind of person who likes to pause the recording so you know what we're talking about. But before we get to that, Leon Centaur, as I've mentioned on the show before, I had Mars Attacks, which is the I believe the second one, the the second uh, Sailor Moon novel. Uh, I think it was actually like or three third? or four. Yeah, you know I'd have to look them up, but the second one was pink, the third one was yellow. So Mars Attacks, was four. yeah. <laughs> See, I don't okay, remember Mars the Attacks was fourth then. Four, yeah. But yeah, you were, and I am not even kidding when I say that finding out that uh, when I got to the end of the book and I read the author bio and I found out you were 17, that was so inspirational. <laughs> like, it was, it was because uh, I've mentioned this before on the show as well. I started writing professionally at 17 as well, oh. writing like a, a column I had written for the school paper got rejected. And this was the dot-com boom, so you could find people to pay you to write things. Oh, yeah. So I was writing for a website that um, my editor was uh, Will Leach, who would go on to find Deadspin. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, exactly like you said, when that ended, when the dot-com bubble burst, I was like so crushed by it that I didn't write again until I was like 22. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so how did it all come about? Well, I, I used to do a, a, like a lot of fan fiction, like a lot of fan fiction for Sailor Moon. I had this kind of policy where I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it a lot. <laughs> I don't know how. It was sort of, uh, back then you would uh, submit to these archives. We didn't have these massive archives like fanfiction.net but you'd have sort of Sailor Moon specific ones and there was um, a website called A Sailor Moon Romance where you could submit once a week. I think it was like Wednesday night and then they would post all the, the fanfics they'd gotten for that week and people could just see what was new. So I had kind of a policy of adding a chapter at least one chapter once a week and I did that for probably a year and a half and I only missed like a week or two and the <laughs> I have friends now who used to follow me back then and they said oh there was that one week where you didn't update and we were really worried and that was the week where I got in a fight with my father and I couldn't use the internet <laughs> so I was like basically grounded uh, back then also you when you use the internet you were taking over the phone line so I think he was waiting for an important phone call and I was like this will only take five minutes my fans are waiting and he's like it's not important no one will care and like literally 15 years later people remember that week <laughs> that's hilarious that's amazing yeah well back in the day it was as you guys know it was a lot harder to be a geek it was you didn't have I mean, just getting access to Sailor Moon outside of what was on TV. I mean, first of all, you had to record it off TV, and mm -hmm. if you wanted fan subs, God help you. Anyway, so... I mean, you, yeah, you'd have that it. phone line tied up all night trying to get those, uh, those transformation yeah, like, sequences. Yeah, yeah basically. Same as me. Yeah. You download for hours to get a 30-second video of, of, you know, whatever, um, Sailor Neptune transforming, and you'd be like, oh my God, I can't imagine when we'll finally see this. Yeah. It was like gold, you know? Like, you appreciated every little piece of canon that you could get, and 
all the information, like Hitoshi Doi, who had that great Sailor Moon archive, who sort of summarized all the Japanese episodes. Uh, it was really, you know, you really worked for it. And it, it kind of, I th- feel like it had more impact that way. Because it was like you were unraveling a mystery and you had to like go search the stuff. <laughs> like there was no Google, you know, like you had to go find this stuff through random Yahoo searches or Sailor Moon web rings and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Oh man, Sailor Moon web rings. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's a thing that I experienced. Like there was a time when I didn't know there could be bad anime <laughs> yeah because it was so much work finding anything that like you yeah. were just glad to have it <laughs> yeah he's like yes i will watch robot carnival at five o'clock in the morning <laughs> let's do this <laughs> yeah uh so i was doing that a lot and then there was uh, back when tokyo pop well see tokyo pop had a lot of, a lot of different incarnations of a manga magazine they started with sort of mixine that turned into tokyo pop that branched off into smile which is where sailor moon went but they used to uh-huh, serialize uh-huh. it in these monthly magazines with, mon- with a bunch of other manga the way they did in Japan. Tokyo Pops was obviously much smaller. They only ran like five, four or five things at a time. And they had an advertisement in, I think it was when it was in Smile, for the Sailor Moon novels. And they had a little excerpt and stuff. And at that point, like any sort of puffed up fan, I was like, oh my God, they're going to ruin it, right? <laughs> um, and also at that point in the 90s, they were still largely marketing Sailor Moon to children. Like the first, I'd say like maybe three or four years, they put it as a cartoon on TV for kids. They edited it down. They added the Sailor Moon set. It was really marketed for sort of elementary school kids, but it was really resonating with teenagers because like, hey, it's a shoujo. We don't really have shoujo over here. And in fact, we still don't really have that much shoujo over here, which is why Twilight did so well, despite it being a very mediocre story that it's just filling that shoujo vacuum that we have sort of in the West. Right. about not really catering to female geek audiences. So uh, I was, you know, like worried that this was going to become another one of those things that was marketed to kids. And then they all, all the teenagers were like, oh, we don't get any, you know, we don't get anything. So I was thinking about writing them a letter and I was hesitating as one always does. I had a friend named Becky who was like, no, no, just go for it. Just write them. It can't hurt. So I wrote them a strongly worded email. <laughs> <laughs> About um, from, from Sailor like, Moon Pen nineteen ninety nine yeah Yahoo.com. yeah sort of, well no I think I I think I had my name in my email it was, I tried to be oh. professional about it so of course there was no formatting in emails at least I didn't know how to use it so when I had to emphasize a word it was in all caps instead of like <laughs> bold or italic so it probably seemed a little more aggressive than I meant to be but it was fairly angry and I was just sort of like you know it's been marketed to children and there's this untapped teenage market and you guys bringing over the manga which I think is appealing to teenagers you should hire a fan fiction writer. This is the sort of thing that we do. And, you know, I sort of linked to my stuff and explained how I sort of knew what I was talking about. And then they wrote back and they were like, actually, we're looking to fill that position. Um, Would you be interested in applying? So it was kind of like, you guys are going to screw this up. And they were like, do you think you can do better? Excellent. Which I have to say, that is an amazing way to run a company. (laughs) Well, yeah, that was one of the reasons why I love Tokyo Pop. They were always doing sort of things like that. They were Um, were very enough. I am not writing Batman right now. (laughs) (laughs) This was also kind of, it depends on where the life of the company is, the life of the industry. At that point, the manga boom was just sort of starting. So, and they were sort of forming themselves as a company. And some of their earliest employees were pulled off of like Sailor Moon Usenet groups and stuff. So, like they were kind of open to this, but they just said, would you like to send an application. And at that point, I, I had self-published a novel that I sold to the uh, my fan fiction fans and stuff because I had my own website for this at that point. And then I'd just been accepted to a writing conference. I don't know. Just I, I submitted the best resume that I could. And then he found out how old I was because he didn't know beforehand that I was a teenager. So once uh-huh. he heard that, he was like, oh, man, you're hired. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, wow. That's, that's the thing. I've always thought that was a amazingly shrewd move mm-hmm. because a who loves Sailor Moon more yeah. than a teenage right. girl who loves Sailor Moon. Oh, yeah. B. What better PR is there yeah. than hey, here's uh, here's one of you. <laughs> Well, yeah, and and also at the time, I mean, fan fiction popularity is relative, particularly before you had social media. But I was a fairly high-level fan fiction writer. Like, a lot of people knew who I was, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't even think he cared about that, though. I think he was more like, yeah, the the gimmick of, like, let's have a teenage girl write about teenage girls. Particularly since he was kind of, like, willing to consider me for the job before he knew that. That he didn't think that the stuff I was going to do was really juvenile, I guess. (laughs) The what level? Because it came out pretty juvenile, obviously. But I think there was sort of that expectation that I could probably string two words together based on how I'd approached him because he hired me without really seeing many writing samples. Like I I sent him my book, which was not well written at all. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but at this point, he was like, it's not rocket science. Like, I think you'll do fine. And he didn't really tell me I was hired until I had a phone interview. And at the end, he's like, okay, I think you'll do a good job. I'll send you these. He sent me a couple reference books, which were like, you know, for that same age group, which was like reading level four. He sent me like a Full House novel. Remember that old sitcom, Full House? <laughs> they had yeah. novels? Yeah, they did. They had little novelizations of the TV show. <laughs> After and- we finish this podcast, Chris, we'll get on that one. Oh, we could <laughs> definitely not do that, I think. <laughs> That would be fine. Although, Whatever Happened to Predictability is a really good name for a podcast if anybody else is out there. Now, out of, I've been reading the books uh, as we go along with the show, and I've been wondering, uh, how much freedom did you have to kind of deviate from the episodes? Because there's uh, the wedding dress episode is really different in your version. Yeah. Well, we had... This, this is what I was told, uh, that there was somebody from Kodansha who was approving them before they went to print. But I don't think they were reading it... <laughs> Carefully. (laughs) Um, Someone who who maybe didn't really have a great grasp of English. (laughs) Yeah, it could have been that. It could have been... Well, I know there was... The sticking point for them was spelling of the names. That... I wasn't supposed to say this, but the company is sort of not publishing anymore, so it's probably okay to say this now, 15 years later. But there was a case where they had spelled one of the names differently than whatever the Kodansha's, like, style guide was, or Kodansha Mm -hmm. plus Deke, whatever it was. And they actually had to, like, destroy books. They, like, wouldn't let them be distributed. So they were, they were really strict about the naming conventions. So I know that in your earlier versions of the podcast, you were saying, why is this person named this, whatever. I know they were some, they, they were like, be very careful about the names. They sent me a certain number of them. They're like, it has to be spelled like this. Because I think in the case where these books had to get basically thrown out after they were already printed was somebody's name was spelled differently like, than what they wanted. So it wasn't even a different name. It was just like they added an I or something. So huh. I don't think that was true with like the background characters. I might have added I don't really remember, but um, there was definitely a certain degree of like, this you can't get wrong. And then beyond that, I wasn't given really strict instructions. So as uh, they, they deviated. <laughs> well, I, I actually wondered about that because there's parts in this where uh, I, I know that the first novel was written by someone else. So mm-hmm. uh, that one I have not read because look, I, I'm I'm a Leon Centaur purist. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but I have, I've always wondered like, was it because you get characters full names and you get, uh, you saw these classmates. Brown. Rika Kilton and Lisa Brownridge and uh, <laughs> Patricia Angelica Haruna, uh, the full name of the teacher. And I was always, I've always wondered if like, you were just like, yeah, I'll give them their names. I'll come up with their names, whatever. <laughs> I don't remember. I, I, they, they were <laughs> definitely a lot that I was given. Um, and I think I used to research pretty heavily, like had this ever come up before in something like, did it show up in the show? I feel like in some of those background characters, like Lisa Brownridge, the first novel and a half was written by Stu Levy, who was the head of to- Tokyo Pop, the guy who hired me. Okay. Before they had a writer, he was like, I'll just do it. And then he's like, I want to write. I don't want to do this anymore. 
and he had established some stuff in book one. In book two, we wrote together. I think that was his kind of like, this is your test section. You know, like he gave me one or two of the episodes to cover and then he did one or two. And then from volume three on, I did them myself. But yeah, I think some of that stuff either came from him. I feel like there was a list somewhere. There was some research I had to do. And again, mm. I think as the books went on, they cared less and less as long as some of those initial, I think it might have been the general's names had to be a certain way, something like that. Yeah, because Nephlite and Nephrite was definitely one of the things we've talked about, about how strange it is that they just shifted it to Nephlite. Yeah. And also back then we were working with different canons too. So you had sort of the Deke names and then you had the Japanese names and then you had some of these names that came out of the ether that I was instructed to use. Right. And then also because I was such a diehard Sailor Mooney, I was trying to incorporate aspects of the manga in there and then uh, I believe very much in transformative works. So that's why I started deviating. I was like, you know, when I watched this episode, I wish there had been more of this scene or, you know, I wish we had a character moment like this. So I just kind of put them in and then waited to see if they said anything and they usually didn't. Because then there was also the parts where it seemed like you were kind of correcting for them where like <laughs> the, with Darian becoming a high school student instead of a college student, which was probably Dar- wise. Darian not being uh, <laughs> 43 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Uh, I, I can't remember how, how my communication line was them, with them was. I know there was more in the beginning. The last couple novels I really wasn't getting much feedback on, um, with the exception being the last novel I did was edited by Jake Forbes, who ended up becoming kind of like a king editor in the manga industry and a guy I really like and I like his work a lot. Um, he ended up writing some of those labyrinth manga for oh. <laughs> Tokyo Pop and stuff. But he wrote me this beautiful letter. And this was at the end of volume eight, which is the last one that I did. That he's like, I just wanted to let you know that I think you're doing a really great job. And like, I edited this and I'm, I'm really proud of you. And I <laughs> treasured this email. It was just so beautiful, particularly since I was like, you know, 18 and at that point was getting ready for college and was like, oh, I have this letter from this guy. He's such a nice guy. And then we ended up sort of being friends and working together for years. I mean, from a distance, right? I don't live in Los Angeles, but sure. uh, he edited a lot of my work. And then I ended up taking over a lot of the manga that he used to rewrite for. And years later, I was applying to DMP for a project and I got a, you know, I sent this really big resume and press packet and then got this email back from one of the heads of DMP. He goes, I know you. I used to work for Tokyo Pop. I added one or two of those novels in the middle there. Like for years, I found that the, these Sailor Moon novels touched a lot of people in the industry. And the only people who stay in this, who are in this industry now are people who stuck around that long because mm. there've been so many cutbacks and, um, you know, nobody makes money in manga. I mean, we, <laughs> yeah. we all know this. So you have to love it like really hard or you're not going to stick around. So it, it's funny just meeting people who are like, I did one of the novels in the middle. And that might've been when I wasn't getting as much communication back and forth. But the process from beginning of novel to published novel was not very long. I think I spent an average of two or three weeks, weeks writing each of those and then maybe a week for edits. They'd send me sort of line edits. Wow. That is, that is quick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I could honestly talk about this for the rest of the day. <laughs> we'll we move do on need to watch the episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. But I have one, uh, one more question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit in the next episode because uh, I think you're going to stick around for that one too. Sure. But uh, just it's a very simple question. Did you mean to have so much subtext with Darian and Andrew? <laughs> I, not sexually, although, (laughs) like, I was really into bromance at that age, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't old enough to understand the sexual, uh, the homoerotic undertones of bromance that were kind of lurking beneath the surface. Like, now that's my specialty is homoerotic (laughs) subtext. 
I can I can see I can see where it starts. Oh, it's way more subtle than those books. There was one point where I was working on Rave Master. I don't know if you're familiar with that really shown in series. And I realized I was like editing it, what I had done, and subconsciously I had made it really homoerotic, and I had to go through and change it because I was just so used to doing that. I worked on like tactics and hands off and a bunch of these series that were really slashy. So, oh, Sayuki, yeah, stuff that like they were like make it gayer. Like that was instructions from editorial, make it gayer. And then so after a while, I was doing it without even meaning to. So this was kind of the formative time, but it was it was. Not supposed to be sexual. Also, a side note, I won't go into this, but at the time I was writing these, I was still writing fan fiction. And there was a story about uh, Darian and Andrew when they were in college, trying like being hazed by a fraternity or something that I think I was writing concurrently. So some of the their interactions in there were bleeding into these novels because I wasn't separating my brain well enough as a teenager. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, there's, that, there's a, that one amazing scene. I think it's in the sixth volume and we've talked about it on the show, but it's you find out that uh, Darian has defended Andrew like in a fight and then Darian is or Andrew is the only person who has a key to Darian's apartment <laughs> they were just really good buds uh, yeah wait so did you just say in volume six Chris uh yeah it's in volume five or six of the oh novel. no because that means we're almost done with them oh yeah if, yeah if people would like to read the edit no look I did not actually read the adaptation for this one because I thought it would be super weird to <laughs> read uh your novel that you wrote at 17 back to you <laughs> during the recording of the show. But if people do want to listen to your version of this episode, it is in volume seven. It's the first story in volume seven, Cellmates, C-E-L mates. And there is, there, look, there is one passage that I marked, but we'll get to it. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I read them last night preparing myself mentally for this, so excellent. I can take it. Yeah. Well, that is very exciting. Well, uh, what do you say we go ahead and start up the episode? Yeah. Uh, Usagi's Joy, uh, a love letter from Tuxedo Mask, a.k.a. who is that mask <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, Jordan, are we ready to start? Leanne, are we ready to start? Yes. Yep. All right. Well, before we get into it, our heroine is Yusagi Takino. She's 14 years old. She's a Capricorn. Uh, <laughs> her birthstone's a pearl. She is, uh, hey, guys, guess what? What? She's secretly Sailor Moon. Oh, my she God. Look like it. Uh, a spoiler. cat gave her a uh, transformation brooch, and she's friends with Amy Mizuno, the kind-hearted girl genius, and Rei Hino, the hot-headed psychic. And she's going to try her best, because her friends have it way more together than she does. Uh, so we open. Uh, do we open this one in the woods? Yes. Well, in his creepy mansion in the woods. Yes. Uh, we open up in Nephrite's creepy mansion. <laughs> Nephrite's evil mansion. <laughs> Yep. And then we get immediately a tennis ball Sailor Moon flashback. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I love this because it means that they liked this as much as we did. Yep. Because <laughs> uh, this is, it is the first flashback we have ever seen, I think. It's the first use of like old footage that's outside of the, the opening recaps. No, no. There was one time when uh, Jedi was watching the tapes, remember? Oh, that's right. Jedi watches the tapes. Uh, <laughs> now Netflix watches the tapes. I gotta say, I gotta to say there are at this point uh, about 18 different scenes where tuxedo mask has rescued sailor moon uh -huh. they did not have to go with the one where she was a tennis ball <laughs> <laughs> now we like I, I gotta say i'm very disappointed in our audience we have not gotten tennis ball sailor moon fan art yet yeah that's very mm. sad uh hit us up at sailor business so Nephrite determines that uh, Sailor Moon's weakness is A, being turned into a tennis ball, and B, <laughs> that she is uh, madly in love with Tuxedo Mask. So Queen Beryl summons him to the throne room where she is working that crystal wall. And uh, she is, uh, she very gently points out that he's not doing a very good job. <laughs> 
It's like, uh, Nephrite, where's all this energy <laughs> you said you were going to get? He might be in sort of his probation period. You know, like how when you start a job, it's like they'll give you a certain number of months to screw up before you're sealed into eternal sleep forever <laughs> in this case. I'm sorry. I just got distracted and I apologize for this. I, you, you mentioned our Twitter and so I opened our Twitter so I could look at it while we talk. And I just saw that 58 minutes ago, Tay Diggs started following us on Twitter. <laughs> Well, Tay Diggs, welcome to the uh, yeah. <laughs> Sailor Business Experience. Verified, checkmark after his name, everything. So, welcome. <laughs> Listen, uh, Leanne, you might not be the biggest celebrity we ever have on the show. <laughs> if we can get Tay Diggs. Yeah, Sailor Moon touched awesome. a lot of hearts, you know? There are plenty of famous people who love Sailor Moon, so... Particularly the 90s one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, maybe you'll uh, have Obama on here eventually. <laughs> Listen, oh my that episode would be amazing. <laughs> Which one you want to have him on? He would come uh, on for Sailor Stars, right? I feel like he would be a good one. If if we had not already planned to have my girlfriend on for the first Chibiusa episode, <laughs> that would be where I would want to get uh, uh, Obama. Let's have him on for Chibi Chibi, although you don't know. I would love. I would love to do the Ask Me About My Fan Fiction section with Barack Obama. <laughs> uh, so okay, sorry about that, Queen Barrel is yelling she, she loses her temper she starts yelling at nephrite and then uh zoocyte shows up and is just a jerk <laughs> yep <laughs> just a real smarmy piece of work in the background yeah again and i i want to say she I, it's so difficult yeah, it's not tough, to huh? he yeah he just shows up to be like oh you suck you suck and i don't understand why queen barrel is okay with this <laughs> well, there, well there's this zoocyte amazing sucked. shot i'm sorry go ahead well no usually like well this is the whole thing that zoocyte is doing is undermining Nephilite's confidence because he's going to I mean I don't want to spoil it like 15 years after the fact but um, you know he's going to tr- he's going to screw him over basically so a lot of the times when he's like goading Nephilite he's hidden behind a pillar like he's not doing it directly in, in Beryl's eyeline which is important because as like as the generals go on they get more and more shrewd and I really liked how they did this because so Jedi was always isolated he was just you know he was a minion he was the mid boss you know you're going to kill him eventually but like once they started Nephilite the, the dynamic changed a lot and you started to see why some of these are senior generals and then the interactions they had with each other and stuff. So, sorry, side note, usually was not doing that directly in front of Barrel because Zoocyte is smarter than that. It's true. There's an yeah, amazing just shot. A dick, yeah. There's yeah. an amazing shot when Zoocyte starts needling Nephrite in front of her where Queen Barrel just leans on her hand and smiles. <laughs> like, oh, you. You you rascally four kings of heaven. Yeah. Uh, and this is like two seconds after she's like, I will put you in eternal sleep. <laughs> Uh, She's very mood swingy in this episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, good villains have to be like, they have to go kill a minion to prove to another minion how serious they are. So they have to be a little bit mercurial. I think that's part of the job description. So, uh, oh, you know what? That's that shot you're talking about where she leans on her hand. So as always, I rewatched the English version of the episode as well. The original dub (laughs) from 92 or no, not 92. Whenever there was in America. 95. 95. There you go. Whoa. Sorry. Thank you. That shot. They have Queen Barrel. This is like this is some bane shit. <laughs> you, you only you only embrace Sailor Moon. I was born to it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I won't do that. I'll no, no, it. no, please wonderful. do, please do. It was great. They have Queen Barrel swooning over Tuxedo Mask. Oh, really? Yes. Because that's that's what she looks like she's doing. That is what they, they put it in. She goes, oh, he is really handsome. Like, he's oh. like, oh, I have a plan. I'm going to use her love for Tuxedo Mask. And she's like, oh, yeah, because he's he's really good looking. That's a good idea. <laughs> Listen, uh, as as we know from, uh, from Leanne, he is a male model. Right. Okay? <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> uh, so from there we cut to the Tsukino household, and we—I don't think we've talked about this on the on Sailor Business before, but we get one of my favorite things on the show, which is the incidental music. I love all the incidental music on Sailor Moon, all the little background music. I love the the pipe organ, Dark Kingdom stuff. But the one that's playing in this scene is. It sounds like a Muzak version of Do You Want to Know a Secret by the Beatles. And it's what, like, it is <laughs> oh, one of my favorite things. Like, it's delightful. And it's uh, Usagi getting home from school. She finds a letter in a, uh, a pink envelope with hearts on it. Which, where is that scene? Where is the scene of Nephrite buying Valentine's Day stationery? Uh-huh. And wrapping himself pins. in silk at the store. <laughs> <laughs> this is such an adorable scene. This is like the most adorable that Usagi ever is ever in the history of ever. Because <laughs> she, she gets this love letter and it says right on it, it's from Tuxedo Mask. And she gets so excited. She opens it up. It says, I love you more than anyone in the world. You are the one I love. Meet me tonight at a closed mall. <laughs> Come to the mall. Come After to the mall. hours. After hours. It's going to be closed. Break in. I Nothing that. sketchy. <laughs> Nothing sketchy at all. Uh, because I love you most of all. And she gets so excited. She is dancing and kissing the letter and spinning around. And, and meanwhile, uh, Luna cute. is having none of it. No. Luna's like, uh, quick question. <laughs> How does he know you're Sailor Moon? That, well, the power of love solves all mysteries. And if <laughs> yeah. you love someone enough, you'll know their secret identity. Which is true. Which turns out <laughs> to be absolutely true over the course of this series. That's true. That is well, true. And most superhero canon too, right? Like if if you are like a superhero and you're dating somebody who's not a superhero, there you it's just kind of the audience is just waiting for that moment where they're going to find out if they didn't already figure it out. It's well built into all canons about alter egos. So, you know, she's right to think that it was only a matter of time. <laughs> yeah, no, she is absolutely correct. And I don't think Isagi gets the credit for being uh, 100% correct in the scene. Also, she pulls some amazing faces. Yeah, so funny. <laughs> the animation in this episode uh, is really, really great. I like the just the the, the faces because Isagi is so expressive in this episode. The other thing I think is funny about this is what is implied between this and the next scene, which is she gets this letter coming home from school. Apparently Apparently, she spends the entire night just being like, I'm so happy, I'm so happy, not calling anyone she knows, because if she spoke to anyone else, she'd go, oh, they got a letter as well. It is weird that she doesn't call Naru. Like, you would yeah. think that would be the first thing she did. Well, maybe not Naru, because Naru doesn't know she's Sailor Moon, but then Amy. Oh, well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I, I, I guess she can't tell her old friend, Yeah, she, her real friend. <laughs> so maybe that was her being responsible, not, you know, wanting to keep the secret. That you know, maybe maybe, she, she, maybe she was like it. six numbers six numbers into the phone and Luna just knocked it out of her hand. She was like, stop it. I swear to God. Uh, but the next Luna, day... Because Luna's sitting there going, this is weird. I don't I don't know if I buy this. But <laughs> no, let's not do any investigation. Let's just sit here all night. But the next day, uh, heartbreak at Juban Middle School. <laughs> it turns out that Usagi was not alone in getting this letter. And in fact, every girl in the eighth grade <laughs> got this letter. Uh, which is... It, like I, think I every thought girl this plan was good. It's, well, it's like I thought it was like every girl in the city. <laughs> it's uh, hard to say. Yeah. Depends on the version, actually. I yeah, feel like he did a mass mean. mailing to every girl in Tokyo. 
but none of them know who Tuxedo Mask is, which is hilarious. <laughs> because none of it, like, everybody always gets knocked out whenever Sailor Moon shows up. Right. Yeah. So none of them have actually seen Tuxedo Mask. Like, the only two characters who have seen Tuxedo Mask are well, the Scouts and a Queen Barrel. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess Naru, girls, maybe. All the other girls don't particularly care. They didn't, they got this letter and went, uh, okay. And got yeah. to school and went, oh, everybody got it? Yeah, it's like an ad. It's for Tuxedo Masks. So that's fine. I guess I don't need one. Yeah. Or like those old chain letters that you used <laughs> to get, only weirdly sexualized. <laughs> So this is where uh, there's a weird, another weird deviation between the two versions. In the Japanese version, Haruna shows up, uh, the teacher shows up and says, all right, everybody, if you got a letter, it's some sort of weird scam. We don't know what the deal is, but don't go because that's (laughs) crazy. (laughs) Uh, Do me a favor. Definitely do not go to this place where these murder letters came from. (laughs) Uh, This creepy mall in Shinjuku after dark. That would be great if you could not do that. Yeah, don't do that. And then she turns around and goes, oh, I'm secretly jealous because I didn't get a letter. Now, <laughs> Which, again, proves my theory that Haruna is just a grown-up Yusagi. Yes, yes. Yeah. But then the American version, the dub, is super weird. Haruna shows up and goes, all right, everybody, who got a letter? All the girls raise their hands. And she goes, awesome. I'll be chaperoning the trip to the mall tonight. No! (laughs) No, she doesn't. She does. She goes, that's great. I'm going with you and we're all going to go together and find out what this is about. No. Yes. God, I don't remember that. That's Why would they put that in for an American audience? That's a terrible message. Like, you can go follow strange men to after hours malls as long as one teacher's there to guard 300 of you? Yep. And the reason that later in the episode none of them actually are there is that both Molly and Serena go, oh, there's going to be a lot of girls there. I'm going to go early. He yeah. said to come at 8. I'm going at 7 because... I want to be alone with him. Mm. <laughs> well, but uh, I don't know why actually, they would do that. This is the one passage that I got to and marked in uh, in Leanne's book, <laughs> uh, which I think it is one of my favorite things that you've written. Uh, it's uh, Miss Haruna slapped her palms down on the desk. Enough about this tuxedo mask character. The police are looking into it. Anyone with the intention of getting hundreds of 14-year-old girls in the mall after shopping hours is probably a serious danger. True. Mm. Absolutely true. Absolutely 100% true. Thank you well, for speaking the truth. <laughs> I feel very strongly about when you localize something to a new market, you have to take in mind, you know, you have to keep kind of cultural in mind, cultural issues in mind. And yeah, yeah, I was deeply concerned about the messages. (laughs) Well, and this also when they used to cut out like that scene where she jumped off of the um, balcony and they floated down with an umbrella. Like that was famously, I think it was a couple episodes ago when she was like drunk at a party, tuxedo mask kissed her. That episode was totally problematic in so many ways, but it was kind of famous for having that scene where they fell off the balcony that they cut in the English version because they didn't want kids jumping off of balconies with umbrellas to float down. Again, because this was marketed to kids. And that was something that a lot of Sailor Moon fans knew that they'd either be like complaining about. It's like, oh, I wish we saw this great romantic moment. Um, But it had fresh in my mind, like keep in mind what's going on. I think also Columbine happened around then. So there were some issues. Yeah, because I remember I went to one of my editors with concerns and I'm like, you know, they're really bullying Melvin. And I feel like this isn't kind of the time to push a message like that across, you know, but we didn't change it that much. But (laughs) he does hide under the tables. Yeah, he's a (laughs) creepy guy. He is a creep. He is. 
nerds. Yeah, yeah. I do not support the bullying of fictional nerds. But yeah, no. Melvin is a creep. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't support him doing creeper shots on every woman he knows either. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially that episode where he's flipping skirts and stuff. But they yeah. cut that out of the dub. That's another thing that they yep. were like, this isn't for kids. So, um, well, I cannot believe I can't remember her saying that. I'm going to be a chaperone. What a yeah. terrible message. <laughs> it was mental. That is bananas. Yeah. Oh, the uh, other so- thing that happened in this scene that I I skipped unfortunately is that Molly, uh, by which I mean Naru, Naru has her letter and she's like, yeah, this is crazy. It's some weird scam. Oh, but what if it was Mas- <laughs> <laughs> what if it was Masato Sanjuin? That would be pretty cool. And she just kind of makes this intuitive, again, like you said, the power of love just makes her know that's who sent it, even though that's not who signed it, and that's a weird coincidence that she's right. She's right. Mm-hmm. Maxfield Stanton. Maxfield Stanton. Exactly. And that, that ends up coming back to hurt her. Like, this episode is kind of, the depth to it is interesting because they kind of, they buy into, but also subvert a lot of these tropes about love and identity and and um, this is right around the time when Sailor Moon got complicated, I think, yeah. and, and dark. And it, you were right, Chris, when you said that this is kind of an important episode for the uh, evolution of the series and also plot stuff that kicks in later. But yeah, it's sort of beautiful in a <laughs> really kind of terrifying package. But I like that, you know, like meeting these strange men who may or may not be superheroes or villains, which is always a, a level of tuxedo mask, right? They weren't entirely sure if he was on their side or not. Adds to that like danger, right? Which kind of makes the love cathartic more powerful. I'm, I'm going to stop. Let's just <laughs> overanalyze. So speaking of uh, of the deepest love in Sailor Moon, we cut to Memoru and Motoki <laughs> uh, at sorry. the Game Center. <laughs> And, well, actually, we cut to uh, Amy in her gym shorts, because uh, it's still anime, everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> still anime. Uh, Amy's very concerned about the, the letter. Which, did Amy get one? Yeah. I guess she had to have. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, oh, that, oh, my God, I want to see that scene, where she gets <laughs> the letter, and she's like, wow, he's always flirting with Sailor Moon, but apparently... <laughs> It was me the whole time. I think I think she reads the letter and just goes, it just goes, nine eight o'clock, I'll be at cram school. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's true. Uh, Sorry, Tux. So uh, we cut from there to the Crown Game Center with uh, Memoru and Matoki. And Memoru is trying to get a tuxedo mask doll out of a crane game. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but the amazing thing is, there's a Queen Barrel doll in there. Oh my god, you're <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a Tuxedo Mask, there's a Sailor V, which that part makes sense. Cause there's Sailor a Sailor V and a Sailor Mars. Right, right Sailor Mars. Who's licensing these <laughs> these likenesses? <laughs> Especially just, with Queen Barrel. That's I feel like there's a missing episode where uh, Jedi was like, yes, crane games. That's how I'll <laughs> gather energy. Yep. And, and then he made this, uh, the Queen Barrel doll is amazing. That's so adorable. Uh, if, you might have to freeze frame to see it, but it's it's on the right hand side of the screen in the crane game shot. Mm-hmm. God, I really want that fanfic about Jedi's, like, if this was a Jedi plan that he <laughs> abandoned, it must have been really bad. <laughs> Yeah, it was because again, like like we've said before, he had this one day walkabout. He saw some people doing a crane grain. He put it on the list. He set them all in motion at once, and then he died before he could get to it. <laughs> Probably for the best. So uh, Isagi walks in and dramatically sighs. In the uh, in the new dub, she actually says the word sigh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hilarious. Yep. Uh, and immediately, uh, that asshole Memoru Come on. starts making fun of her. And he's like, oh, I'll bet everyone in town got a love letter, but you didn't because you suck and you're <laughs> stupid and horrible. Uh, she is more upset, of course, because she did get a letter, but she is not the only one. So she bursts into tears. 
it's kind of a pointless scene. <laughs> yeah. Just to get Memoro in there, I think. Meanwhile, because there's a lot of meanwhiles in this episode, too. It yeah. cuts It cuts a lot. There's a lot happening. Yeah. Uh, at the shrine, we find out that uh, Ray is homesick. And it says a lot about her as a character that I instantly assumed she was lying. <laughs> I did, too. <laughs> and I've seen this episode before. Yeah, me, too. And I was like, oh, she's lying to Amy because she is going to go to the mall. Right. And she's not. She is completely, she's just sick. <laughs> she's a boy who cried wolf, basically. We're like, yeah, okay, sure, you're sick. You don't care about tuxedo mask. Right, 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 right. Yeah, we know what's really happening. So then, Nifra's just hanging out at the mall <laughs> during business hours. <laughs> scooping it out. So stupid. And so is Molly. I mean, yeah. basically, so both Molly of them have the same like, fan, plan, plan. I mean, you talked about, uh, you talked about, like, yeah, uh, you saw you wanted to go to the mall at like seven. Molly's there at four in the afternoon. <laughs> they're, they're both like, let's get the, get the lay of the land. We'll see the, the, the ground we're going to be covering. And they both run into each other. And she just walks up to him and goes, Hey, I got a weird question. Uh, did you. <laughs> Did you send this letter saying you succedo mask? Uh, it is also revealed in this scene that Molly actually is on the tennis team, uh, which is weird because we never once saw her playing tennis in the, in the episode one episode about tennis. tennis. Yeah, that is weird. And <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, uh, uh, Maxfield Stanton, Masato Sanjuan, do you remember me? <laughs> I'm from the middle school tennis team." <laughs> Yes, then, of course. And then, yeah, and then she uh, she asks if he's tuxedo mask, and he pulls the face that he should have been pulling the entire time. When he's like, <laughs> "What are you talking about? <laughs> Who are you?" Uh, <laughs> so classic. He so immediately weird. suspects that she is Sailor Moon, which mm-hmm. makes sense because they look so much alike. <laughs> It's not about looks. This is, is the episode. It, this is the best episode for that. I can't wait till we get to the mall scene, the later mall scene, to talk about. Oh yeah, it's talk about how nobody nobody's eyes function. <laughs> Uh, Molly's outfit is super cute in this scene, by the way. Just wanted to point that out. Well, she's See, trying okay. to look extra cute. It's funny. To me, I saw her in this scene, and I literally, I think I even wrote down, she has never looked younger to me than in this scene. I saw her in this scene and was like, oh, she's definitely a teenager. Yeah. Way too young to be involved in this plot. <laughs> that is the way her outfit looked. Yeah, well, get ready for the next 10 episodes, buddy. <laughs> Uh, so she is, of course, uh, is this the scene where, is this the scene where, uh, Nefrite's like, you're the prettiest girl in school, <laughs> which is the creepiest thing that's ever happened? Or does that happen? That happens later, right? I don't no, remember I, if he says that. Yeah, I think he came, well, I think he came onto her a little. He definitely, uh, because he immediately thinks she's Sailor Moon, like, yeah. like Chris said. And so he's like, so I'll see you tonight. Uh, yeah. She's like, oh, he is Tuxedo Mask. I also like that, uh, he's like, yes, let's see, what do I know about Sailor Moon? Well, she's got short red hair and speaks with a Brooklyn accent. (laughs) Anybody can put on a Brooklyn accent. It's fine. Okay. 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 You will defend defend this until your grave, I see. Yeah. Yeah. He says, um, he says, I'd say you're the sweetest girl at Juban Middle School. Wow. And in the, uh, in the new dub, they change it to, you're the prettiest girl. He goes, uh, does anyone ever tell you you're the prettiest girl in school? Oh, God. Oh, so many red flags. What a creep. What a creep. That is Uh, super weird. Well, he is evil. I mean, I think like some of the stuff that Tuxedo Mask does, like unacceptable dude, you're like the main love interest but like most of the stuff with Netflix you could be like well he's trying to kill her so (laughs) yeah yeah he's not gonna be a good boyfriend uh so yeah Uh, where do we go from there Jordan she 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 goes up to the roof and fantasizes about him (laughs) 
she goes up to the room. A lot room. of goof access in Japan. <laughs> yeah, that is what like, I've learned from watching anime and Super Sentai shows. Like, that's where people go, go up on the roof. Also, they go to angst. It's like, you know, or they'll go and they'll stare off and the, the breeze will brush their hair out slightly or they'll, they'll touch the fence, you know, and look out and consider all their problems. It's kind of a trope. Yeah. yeah. Then we get uh, Usagi's dating tips. Uh, so, <laughs> Usagi at home <laughs> is going, I'm going to go, well, in the American, I'm going to go early. And in the Japanese, I'm going to be the only person other than Naru who actually shows up. Right. Forget what the teacher said about me not being murdered in a mall. (laughs) And she goes, Uh, I'm going. So I'm going to go, even though it's a weird trap trick thing. And that's super obvious because he sent a letter to everyone. It could be a date. So let's, (laughs) let's prepare like it's a date. Let's work under the assumption this is going to be really hot. Yeah, exactly. Well, here's the thing. The first rule of dating (laughs) is wear clean underwear. (laughs) The first rule of dating. That's a big one. I mean, look, that is, I would say that is like the first rule of like wearing clothing. Yeah, being a human being, I think that's a good first rule. And again, it's super funny because she pulls out her underwear drawer. It's all like cartoons and animals and stuff on her underwear. In there's the- one. That, there's one. I, I wasn't going to talk about this because I can't imagine there's anything creepier for our listeners <laughs> than us discussing the contents of Yusagi's underwear drawer. They, but they show it so blatantly. They do. They like. Sh- there's a lingering shot of it. But uh, the one that uh, the one that I really noticed was there's one that just says "Ah" on the front, <laughs> and it's like, did Adam Hughes? Draw- <laughs> That's the best. So, rule number one, wear clean underwear. Rule number one B, second to wearing clean underwear, (laughs) is wear a nice dress. Yes. (laughs) Go with what's important. Oh, by the way, American version, those are socks. American version, she goes, gotta get some socks. Gotta get some cute socks. (laughs) Yes. Uh, That was uh, wise. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) that was a real good call. So, what else? uh, Uh, Rule number two uh, is put on pleasant perfume. Pleasant perfume, yep. Uh, And and rule number three is brush your teeth just just in case. case. Mm. Which I think you, I don't think you had to add just in case. Like I think brush your teeth is a good rule. Like again, <laughs> yeah. again. these are really like perfume is kind of a dating rule, but like wear clean underwear and brush your teeth are just like it's good advice. <laughs> and then she very dramatically puts on lipstick. Right, that's the fourth rule: is yeah. uh, apply a light pink lipstick. Yes, <laughs> no matter what, I guess. And then fantasizes about almost kissing tuxedo mask, and then spazzes out over how amazing that would be. <laughs> yeah, isn't it every girl's dream to kiss a forty-eight-year-old? man in formal wear listen she can't tell he's 48 year old she, she can't he tell anything mask. he's wearing Excuse a mask <laughs> i'm sorry i forgot uh so so molly shows up naru shows up at the mall uh and this is the best this is the best scene because we really get to talk about the nonsense about nobody recognizing him it's look it's pretty great <laughs> it's pretty i'm not awesome. gonna lie she walks in she sees nephrite dressed in the tuxedo mask outfit exactly the same as tuxedo mask except a purple mask because i guess he wasn't paying attention which is like which is hilarious because i feel like that's so we can tell yeah oh yeah like, we can, otherwise. Just, hey, he's got a purple mask on everybody it's not the real guy well the fact that he has eight <laughs> feet of brown hair right. i mean right. And she says to him, so it is you. It is Maxfield Stanton. It is Mas- uh, Mas- Masato Senjuin. And he goes, how do you know? What? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't understand. And what does she say? Your voice. <laughs> she does not say you have eight feet of, like, cascading brown hair. <laughs> oh, God. 
it's no, it, it was the voice it was the tip off. And then I'm what gonna, is happening on this show? <laughs> I'm going to jump ahead to it for half a second because it's on the same topic. Cause then the exact same thing then does later happen with, with, uh, Sailor Moon where she's like, Oh, you're, you're Nephrite. And he's like, what? <laughs> Well, I think he doesn't understand that transformation magic and wearing different clothes are not the same thing. My, I mean, my favorite thing about this scene, and again, it's skipping ahead, is that he is wearing a full tuxedo mask outfit, a.k.a. a Dracula costume. Right. <laughs> yeah. And there's a point where he, you know, does the anime thing where he whips it off. And he is also wearing his full Dark Kingdom yes. general military uniform underneath it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Tu- yeah. Yusaki knows he's not tuxedo mask. And it's like, oh, I'm wearing his clothes. <laughs> I'm clearly him. I've got the tuxedo. I've got the mask. I'm pretty close with the mask. Like, how could you? (laughs) Like, I'm wearing a tuxedo and a near replica mask. How could you tell? I washed this mask with my Yeah, it gets really expensive. It'll still work. It's just, like, the color is just slightly different. I mean, you shouldn't have been able to see through that. Like, I feel like he took a lot of pride in this. Because he, well, he had to hand write hundreds of letters to prep for this. (laughs) There was so much work involved. Oh, in there's some, there's like a Dark Kingdom pencil monster that has like 26 <laughs> arms that knock those out. That's probably true. Is it there? So, well, the animation pencil guy from... Oh, maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> All right. Uh, so he jumps down and he's like, hey, you're Sailor Moon. Admit it. And then he just like pokes her in the chest. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thankfully not. I mean, he could have just blasted her with something and <laughs> killed her. She's just a normal girl. It would have absolutely annihilated her. But he just points very dramatically. Yeah, but he, like, touches her. He yeah. pokes her. He, like, pokes her in the chest and just leaves his finger there for a long, dramatic moment. So everything about this episode is bizarre. So, so then... Act you, break. Oh, yeah, sure. That's then Usagi shows up at the mall, too. The mall, which uh, there's a big sign that says NY City. Yeah, NY City. I didn't note that as well. She shows up. She breaks in as well. Um, and she sees them. And and like I said, she goes, oh, that's not Tuxedo Mask. Uh, I, although the way she says it is not like, I recognize Tuxedo Mask, and that isn't him. She does kind of say it more like, Tuxedo Mask wouldn't be molesting that young girl in some way. <laughs> if he's going to molest any young girl, I would like to think it would be me. <laughs> uh, Amy calls on the calculator. Oh, right. Yep. And uh, Usagi's like, yeah, I'm in Shinjuku right now. <laughs> and Amy's like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Lord. What is... You idiot. <laughs> this is bare minimum a regular murder trap. <laughs> And more likely a Dark Kingdom murder trap. Mm-hmm. They uh, I mean, they should have had Usagi on lockdown. They should have known she would have gone to this. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, they should have been, like, they should have been, like, stuffed her in a trunk and they'd sit <laughs> on the trunk. <laughs> well, they were too busy actually taking care of Ray because Ray was legit sick. Yeah. yeah. So Ray yeah, actually gets true. out of bed uh, because she's upset that uh, Usagi's going to try and get a date with Tuxedo Mask before her. Right. Which, she's already uh, got a boyfriend, by yeah, the way. She already has a, well, she already has Tuxedo Mask. <laughs> She's already dating Darian. Accurate. Uh, look, bad form, Ray. Bad form. Uh, so, so that's when Usagi sees uh, Nephrite draining love energy well, out it, of Nara. But when it cuts back, Nephrite is still like poking her oh, in the sternum. Yeah. So that his finger has been just poking her for the duration of a commercial break and a conversation between three other characters. <laughs> Maybe she's into goes, that. What are you talking about? <laughs> 
which I, I think is great. Is. Now, I don't think in the Japanese version she says she loves him, right? She does. She does. She does. She says, I love you in the Japanese oh, version. Then I'm wrong. <laughs> she definitely does in the American version. And then my favorite part of the American version of that scene is right before she passes out, she goes, I'm going to keel over. <laughs> <laughs> And then she keels over. Yep, that's what she was right. (laughs) So Sailor Moon sees this and she goes, oh, like, that's a bad guy. I'm going to transform. She then shouts her transformation like 10 feet away from them. (laughs) And they don't notice at all. Um, And then, am I correct? And then we get to see Tuxedo Mask transformation for the first time. Yes. Uh, And this is kind of our tip off that uh, uh, Darius. Where where they learn that Mamoru is Tuxedo Mask, right? He's literally walking down the street. And he collapses and glows with purple energy and rainbow lightning. And nobody's, everybody's cool with it. <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> notices. He's, he walks past an open bookstore and nobody went to that bookstore, looks up and goes, hey, there's a dude on the street who is glowing and there is also lightning and he looks in distress. He has his, yeah, crazy migraine. Oh, and can we talk about this for a minute? Why does Tuxedo Mass get associated with Spanish guitar? Oh, in the English version. Yeah. No, I, in I, both. Even in Japanese, it's like, yeah, there's a little... I I always thought it was pretty dope, you know, like, it's it's pretty, it gives him sort of a different, you know, when you have, like, character music and stuff, it gives him a distinct sound, but, Mm -hmm. no, you're right, now I think about it, it was in the Japanese as well. It's so weird. Well, he always has that sting when he shows up, the little... Yeah, and I mean... Really awesome. Yeah, Spanish guitar is considered sort of a hyper-masculine, you know, it's, like, sexy. Okay. Just, sorry, that's my teenage girl perspective (laughs) coming. It's like, works well it's like, like a guy with an acoustic guitar has like 90 women around him it's it's almost a cliches I, I don't know if that's what they were thinking but maybe it just sounded you know cool i'll buy that i like also, that he transforms in front of a uh lisa frank holographic colorful <laughs> background and a shower of roses it's basically amazing yeah it's pretty cool well those guys are like in like in between space filled with glitter when they transform. So I feel like it's only fair that he's got some sort of, he has like a non-consensual uh, transformation <laughs> sequence. <laughs> I really, I, I will say I really like his <clears throat> transformation sequence. It's it's way shorter than Sailor Moon's, obviously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sailor Moon's takes a full 40 seconds. And he's fighting it, right? He's like, no, please, not again. <laughs> but like, I had to go somewhere. I did like a real date or like <laughs> I had a dinner meeting. <laughs> My 14-year-old girlfriend's sick and I was going to bring her some chicken soup. <laughs> Uh, he does the thing where he like looks down because he's fighting the transformation and then when he looks up it's an outline and it's a close-up of the mask mm-hmm. and you get the spanish guitar it's like a really it's like a really cool little sequence uh for something that we don't i mean this is not a sequence we see really often or yeah, yeah maybe like once do we ever twice. see it again i don't know maybe, I, maybe a couple times i think at least once but i might be wrong yeah it, it's very rare there was a big climactic scene in the other i guess the other episode where they're stuck in an elevator there. yes <laughs> The other elevator episode. It's a lot That's of a elevator. A lot of elevators. Well, you know, you go with what works. Yeah, yeah. Jedi trapped them in an elevator once. It was his cunning master plan. So, uh, back at the mall, Sailor Moon reveals herself. I'm going to punish you, all that. Yeah, and it's weird that she has those 12-foot blonde ponytails and no accent. <laughs> yeah, because normally, all right. Uh, she, how does she knock off his hat? Oh, she does a Sailor Moon kick, kicks off his hat, uh, grabs grabs Naru, and he goes, all right, cool, I'm going to call upon the power of the stars like I do, because I'm an astrology dude. Because the stars see all the stars know all. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> For some reason, first the stars make a zillion versions of him, but that goes nowhere. 
then, this is also where he he rips off his uh yeah oh yeah the, tears the off best the, outfit. the best thing is that he rips off his tuxedo and he's wearing his military uniform and he's floating there in his military uniform and his lavender domino mask and uh Sailor Moon goes Masato Senjuin <laughs> yeah he recognized him <laughs> like Shocking. that's not what Masato Senjuin wears. <laughs> She sees right through him. That, you're right. That that puts the lie to the whole idea that the clothes confuse people because now we know. <laughs> it's like that scene in it's like the only good scene in Batman Returns, which is where uh, Batman takes his mask off and Christopher Walken goes, Bruce Wayne, what are you doing dressed like Batman? <laughs> it's that like, Masato Sanjo, what are you doing dressed like Tuxedo Mask oh, yeah. slash Nephrite? When he tears the rubber of his mask off in that, uh, that scene. So weird. Mm. Anyway. But this is the first time, this is the first time she's seen him yeah as nephrite, as nephrite. So yeah. it's the first time she's seen him wearing the exact same uniform that Jedi. uh jedi wears so then he goes all right next next star sign i'm gonna call on leo the lion so he creates a lion and the lion starts chasing her around the mall sensible yeah you know uh, that's a new power he has yeah <laughs> i mean it, 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 he didn't meet her before so he didn't need to make star signs come to life before now he does and of course the lion's about to eat her rose rose comes in there's tuxedo mask standing propping open an elevator for some reason it is it is the most foreshadowing it is the most like ballerist <laughs> Tuxedo mask has ever been just like one leg kicked up, leaning against an elevator door, totally cash. <laughs> like what? Like it is. It's kind of amazing. Pretty cool. Because he's got like the one arm over it. it this look. This is from his Calvin Klein uh, young adult modeling days. Ah, this is that's his. Maybe that's his I feel like deal. otherwise he would have read that an issue of Maxim. Oh, <laughs> somewhere in this scene, and I don't remember the exact place, but somewhere in this scene, in the American version, Nephrite Neflite says to Sailor Moon, "Your lunch meat," and I was very happy. <laughs> Did that make you happy? I thought it was very funny. Well, the, the dub was really insistent on reintroducing words that had been killed in the English popular <laughs> language back, like nut bar and dreamboat, and like these things that nobody had said for decades. Right. Was That's because they were back waking. to life. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So uh, lunch meat makes sense. Like, who would have said that beyond like a greaser fifty years ago? Like, but now it's it's like a time capsule. We also get uh, uh, Tuxedo Mask busts out his extending cane rod baton True. thing, which is awesome. Yeah. So uh, he does he does some good work in this episode. Yeah, yeah. He, he's got some good moves. But well, it's, it's personal now. I mean, it is, but it's all a trick because what happens is they get away, quote unquote, into the elevator, only to find out that was the plan all along. Get them to run into the elevator. Dubious plan. Yeah, not a great plan. So, <laughs> and my favorite quote of the entire episode in the Japanese one is they go, so they're getting the elevator. And he goes, oh, you're in the elevator. I, like, that was my plan. And they're like, well, we're safe in the elevator. And he goes, only until it reaches the top. Here's why. Uh, because then the elevator no, no, will not, fall according he, he to asks, the laws of the Earth's gravitational pull. <laughs> he asks Sailor Moon, he goes, what do you think will happen when it right, gets to the top? True. And she's like, just tell just us. Tell us. <laughs> just tell us. Well, what will happen is the elevator will fall according to the laws of Earth's gravitational pull. Like, I, my interpretation of this is that uh, Nephrite was like, it'll keep going to the top. And then what do you think? going to happen. And he thought Sailor Moon was going to be like, and then it'll fall and kill us, you devious bastard. <laughs> Instead, Sailor Moon is like, I don't know what happens when things go up high. <laughs> and Nefrite's like, oh, Jesus, I have to explain gravity to this girl. <laughs> Yeah, like I sense. like I have to. I want her to understand what is happening. <laughs> I am literally going to have to teach her about gravity. 
So I guess despite the fact that he was trying to drag, you know, hundreds of potentially hundreds of girls to a mall in order to murder at least one, there's still a part of him that wants to educate the generation below him. (laughs) Like you can't go back to school not knowing this Sailor Moon. (laughs) So Uh, so go ahead. Well, oh no. So so she uh she (laughs) there's a weird moment where she tries to grope Tuxedo Mask. Yep. Uh, but then backs off and then is like really embarrassed about it. I guess because she does like look, she doesn't want to die. Without uh, those sweet tuxedo mask makeouts. Uh, it, meanwhile, tuxedo mask is actively looking for a way out. <laughs> she is crying and attempting to grope him. <laughs> He's a little more concerned with survival in this part. Right. She is. He gets them out of the elevator onto the top of the elevator. Um, and he says, as soon as it stops, we jump. They jump. They grab onto the ledge and they dangle. And then in one of the other... I mean, this is a weird episode. In another weird moment, he's like, to distract us from the fact that we're dangling from our death, let's just talk about something else. Just start some chit-chat, okay? How about we climb? How about we climb up a little bit there, uh, there, TM? So she starts asking him about, like, oh, why do you save me? And, you know, what's your name? Who are you under there? And he's like, he's like I have no idea why I saved you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I do not have a choice in the matter. My uh, blood tells me to. That's what he says. <laughs> that is a weird thing to say. That, that must, be, that must be the Japanese version. That's, like, really yeah, romantic, though. Like, that's something you can say to someone that you're in love with. Like, My hey, blood you- told me. <laughs> What do you like about me? Oh, my blood insists. It's not me, it's my blood. So anyway, yeah, she keeps chit-chatting, and she keeps saying, oh, she's like sitting there going, who are you under there? Oh, I probably shouldn't say that, it's, but it's because I'm in love with you. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Oh, you're in Matoki, aren't you? Oh, I shouldn't say that. Um, freaking out. They're going to fall to their death. They almost do. The ele- Oh, the elevator falls, and Nephrite just goes, cool, they're dead. I'm not going to check. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to just, I could have walked five feet, but I, I choose to just assume. Yeah. Listen, what possible reason would Nephlight have to not think this plan worked? It was Every airtight. plan he has had has been so successful. It was airtight. And at the last second before they fall to their death, the elevator doors they're clinging to open. There's Mars and Mercury. They save them. Mars is wearing the cold mask over her face. Or something like that. I'm glad that you felt the need to cover your face yep, for this podcast, this yep. audio project that we're doing. It was to it was a special effect and it works so. <laughs> what the theater of the mind <laughs> yeah and that's basically the end uh they start talking to tuxedo mask and he's like i'm out he jumps <laughs> off the building <laughs> <laughs> all right it all worked out tuxedo mask out and they think he flew away, but he really is just right below them, listening to them talk about him. And then uh, back at... And, and also, also, Ray is yelling at Usagi for oh, yeah. hugging Tuxedo Mask. <laughs> and Usagi's like, no, 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 it's not like that. And meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, Amy's like, um, I gotta get Naru to a hospital. <laughs> Your best friend's in a fucking coma, you idiots. <laughs> she is like, she is piggybacking Naru. She's carrying Naru. Yes. And like, I would guess that Amy is the least physically strong of all of them. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, it's not her forte. Yeah. Well, like, not counting Luna. Well, Luna doesn't count. Luna's, Luna's a cat, not a people. She does yeah. not have human musculature. I, I mean, I guess I guess that uh, Ray can't carry Naru because Ray's sick, mm-hmm. but like, it's so funny to, that it's Amy... It's need Jupiter. Sorry. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> Amy's like hoisting up Naru being like, yeah, okay, you guys have fun. I'm gonna show, try and make your best friend not die. <laughs> so, then we go back to the Dark Kingdom where, again, Zoysa is Zoicite or Zoicite? I never remember which one is right. Is sitting there going, Oh, look, another failure. Why don't you murder Nephrite? 
Yeah, right in front of him. <laughs> right in front of him, just going like, hey, you should kill this guy. This guy sucks, and you should kill him. Yeah, you should kill so him. So unprofessional. And, and Queen Barrel's like, uh-uh-uh, he got that good energy. <laughs> yeah, this stuff is good. This stuff is premium. Teenage girl lust, apparently, can feel so many monsters. Actually, that makes so much sense. Yeah. No, it, it like, look... <laughs> Stephanie Meyer's a millionaire. There you go. So, uh, so yeah, but this is great because uh, Queen Barrel's like, uh, no, he brought back some super good energy. You haven't found the legendary silver crystal, in quotes. So uh, why don't you get the fuck out of here, Zoicite? You are terrible. You are a garbage person. <laughs> and then he goes back to his creepy mansion. And, uh, I assume, actually. He's just in a dark room with uh, the planetarium effects going on. And he's like, whoa, this girl, Naru, she had the real stuff. I should remember that. Keep it in mind. <laughs> this, like, I, but I do like, I do like this evolution of the plan because he, like, we've talked before about how these episodes feel so much like uh, Jedi episodes, just with one person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, the, the, you only really care about one person who gets affected by the Jedi plots anyway. There's always one focal point. Right. But like now that he's like, oh right, love energy. If you can like take energy from someone in love, that's like a that is a very powerful human energy that we can harvest. Like that really makes sense in, in the context of the show yeah yeah so i really like that uh and that is where our episode ends with uh with a holographic picture of naru floating and uh nephrite being like she's in love this is gonna be awesome <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait to get extra evil on this one particular girl but it's not even the next thing he does right well it's not it's not our next episode. I don't know when yeah. it comes after this. After that is the animated episode. Oh, yeah, it's the, the animated episode, which is really, really good. I like that episode a lot. So, it's, so, he's, so again, he's like, this is a really good idea. I'll save that for later. Well, no, he's <laughs> like, he's going to be working on, like, Naru is like agriculture okay. at this point. Oh. Naru is sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll buy that. That's right. I just compared uh, Naru's crush on Maxfield Stanton to the development of agriculture. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that is where our episode ends. Uh, Jordan, this episode was dubbed. Do you have the Sailor Moon says queued up? Let's see. When Molly told Nephlight she loved him, she was being true to herself. It got her in a mess of trouble, but Nephlight knew Molly's strong, real feelings could be valuable to the Negaforce. When you're doing something that is right, your energy, your true feelings are valuable too. When you're true to yourself, not trying to be anybody but who you are, you are as strong and powerful as any enemy. When you are doing something right, remember to be true to yourself, Sailor Moon says. <laughs> that's a problematic message. Yeah, that's a weird one. <laughs> that one was weird. I see what they were going for, but like, if the moral is believe in yourself, go follow strange men to the mall, like... <laughs> <laughs> Look, when you're doing something that is morally correct, like following strange men to the mall, <laughs> your energy is valuable. <laughs> to the negaverse? To, yeah. the neg- to the negaverse. She was doing what was true to herself, and it was true to her to be in a very, very dangerous situation, apparently. And get a very hurt as a result of it. Yep. But she was in the right? Oh, boy. I feel like they should have <laughs> reviewed that once more in editorial before <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, now is the time when we talk about what we learned on the show. It's time for yeah. Sailor Business Says. <laughs> and Leanne, we'll start with you. What did you learn from uh, this episode? If 
Uh, I mean, I feel like the, the tuxedo mask angle here where he's clearly kind of a pawn of fate. So sort of like if you feel yourself being drawn to some strange person through these like rage blackouts, then like it's okay because in the end you're going to go to the future in a couple seasons. Like I, there's something there about like it's okay, let go, man. Like it'll all work out in the end. Your rage blackouts aren't going to get you arrested. Like if you turn into this thing that steals away teenage <laughs> girls. I mean, it's, it's really depressing. I find this whole episode which is partially why i liked it Mm -hmm. because it's showing everybody in sort of a broader more realistic context where it's like when strange people call you out they don't necessarily mean the best for you or that even if you're fighting evil maybe you're doing it out of some compulsion or necessity so it's kind of like the world's a big scary place kids i don't know (laughs) the world's a big scary place kids sailor moon says (laughs) (laughs) try not to get murdered uh jordan what did you learn from this episode i learned the most important part of dating is clean underwear uh, that's true. a big lesson. That is true. I don't. I don't do. Uh, listen, I'm married, so I don't do a lot of dating. But now, so you don't wear I'm clean underwear anymore. Yeah, I don't. Why bother? Not for years. I'm married. Forget it. <laughs> Same underwear every day. Uh, I learned that if you have a friend who is prone to making uh, irrational decisions about her crush, and she tells you that she got a letter trying to get her to go to the mall after it was closed, she's going to go to that mall. You need to be on top of that. <laughs> <laughs> Take some responsibility as a friend, Sailor Moon says. Yeah, I. this is an episode that is, it's weird, but it's, I, I really enjoy it. There's a lot of really great animation in it. Um, I think this is the most screen caps that I've done while we've been watching it. There's just so much Oh, did you post a lot? I didn't realize. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been tweeting them while we watched. It's got a weird plot. It's got a lot of stuff that doesn't make a lot of sense, but it is it, it sets up a lot of stuff that we're going to be getting through in the weeks to come. And uh, I, I mean, I it's not my favorite episode, but I would definitely recommend it. It's definitely on the recommended watch list. Yeah. And where it falls, too, in the overall timeline, it's sort of a, a pivotal one. Yeah, absolutely. Like you were saying, if there are ones that you can skip, this is one you probably shouldn't. Yeah, you it's, need it's it. It's not quite as good as I want it to be for being as necessary as it is. Yeah, that's true. But, it's, it, but there's a lot of fun in it. It's fun to watch. I mean, it's way better than the end of Jedi episode, which you have to watch and is terrible. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that does it for another episode of Sailor Business. Uh, Leanne, where can everybody find you online? Well, I'm one of the head editors of Sparkler Monthly Magazine. That's kind of where I spend all my time. I also write one of the light novels on there called Tokyo Demons. So um, sparklermonthly.com. And within that, Tokyo Demons is the series I'm writing. But yeah, as part of the editorial staff, I really love everything we do on there. And it takes up approximately 60 to 80 hours a week. So, nice. like, that that's where I can be found. Well, less so now, but um, in the beginning, it was a lot. So, that's where I live, Sparkler Monthly. So, <laughs> if I had to recommend one place, it would be that. You, you, look, you can recommend more than one place. This, sh- um, this, show's, this show's already four hours long. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I mean, I know you guys use Twitter a lot. So, I'm at Tokyo Demons, one word, on Twitter, I guess. Cool. Mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter at Crackshot with the zero for an O. Speaking of not using our professional names in our stuff uh, which you said you did as a 17 year old and I still haven't learned that that lesson yet (laughs) (laughs) well Leanne Centaur isn't my name oh yeah it's a pen name I had no idea it it goes deep the lies they go (laughs) 
many years ago. Is that, my world has been shattered. Wait, so is that the name you would use in the fanfic to yeah. write fanfic? And then so you you were cultivating a brand as a teenager. Yeah. Well, in the as as you know, maybe because you guys uh, identify as males, so maybe you didn't get quite the same um, socialization that I did. But so I'm using too many big words. I, I could, no problem. <laughs> I was doing a presentation to kids the other day, so I'm kind of in academic mode. When you go on the internet, especially back then when the internet wasn't something that everyone was on, they warned you that there are going to be predators online looking for girls. Uh, mm. So they said, if you're going to do anything online, it's best to have sort of a pen name or a fake name. So I picked that one very, it was like the first fanfic I ever posted. I used that name and then it started getting more popular. So I use that name for basically everything that I do in publishing, but it's not my real name where oh. I work in with children's hospitals and stuff. So I can do whatever. It gives me like ultimate freedom. I can kind of do whatever I want because there's very few connections between that name and my real name. And I also have two or three other pen names that I go under as well, depending on it's, what I'm working on. It's your Maxfield Stanton. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter at the ISB and you can find the show on Twitter at Sailor Business. Uh, we're going to be back next week with the weirdest episode of the shoe of the shoe of the shoe. <laughs> the weirdest episode of the series by far, yep. uh, but one that I kind of love. So uh, be here for that. Thank you for listening. Yep. And until next time, keep your mind on Sailor Business. Sailor.